And welcome to the Deep Dive Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Nick Espinoza, and we're going to be talking about all things cybersecurity, cyber warfare, and technology related. And I think we're one of the only ones out there that's doing that right now. If you'd like to be part of the radio show in any way, shape, or form, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can send us an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. We have an action-packed show as always. There's always a lot to cover, so stick around with us as we deep dive into a topic and we catch up on everything else. So without further ado... Let's begin. And we've got a great hour for you. We're obviously going to be catching up on the news. The breaches this week were absolutely crazy. You are not going to want to miss that segment. Holy cow. But our deep dive is going to be on virtual reality and how it is the next evolution of privacy issues we are going to have here. So stick around for that. Stay tuned. And as always, let's start with the news. And in Instagram news, Instagram has been violating your kids' privacy. Now, this is coming from Politico, and here's what's going on. The Irish Data Protection Commission has just fined meta-owned... the, the meta-owned platform Instagram, 405 million euros, which is about the same U.S., for violation of the general data protection regulation in the EU. Now, the fine, which is the second highest under the GDPR uh, after an Amazon one for 746 million euros, is basically the third for meta, the meta-owned company handed down by the Irish regulator. In an email statement, the Irish regulators confirmed the penalty but declined further comment. This is obviously a huge, huge issue. But essentially, the penalty um, currently, like I said, the highest for Meta, second highest in all of the EU, um, is aimed at Instagram's violation of children's privacy, including its publication of kids' email addresses and phone numbers. Obviously, we have seen a huge problem uh, with things like predators on you know Instagram and anywhere else. Uh, you know, kids, you know, young kids to teenagers will hang out. Now, the Irish Data Protection Commission has at least six other investigations into meta-owned companies. A meta spokesperson said, quote, this inquiry focused on old settings that we updated over a year ago, and we've since released many new features to help keep teens safe and their information private. And anyone under 18 automatically has their account set to private when they join Instagram, so only people they know can see what they post, and adults can't message teens who don't follow them. We've engaged fully with the DPC throughout their inquiry, and we've carefully reviewed their, or carefully reviewing their final decision. And honestly, I, I just, aside from the, 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 psychological problems of depression that that Instagram and worse that Instagram has wrought on teens for almost a decade now or around a decade now this is a huge problem and they are starting to put in controls for this but we have a huge problem especially when we are talking about kids aged 13 to 17 or so that they're under 18 uh, you know but they are being targeted very heavily so we'll see where this goes but understand if you're using any kind of Facebook aka meta product you're just asking for for data mining you're asking for stocking, you're asking for a whole bunch of problems, and I think Ireland just proved it. And so that is your Instagram news of the day. And in TikTok news, TikTok is actually profiting off of human suffering. This is crazy. It's coming from the BBC, and here's what's going on. Displaced families in Syrian refugee camps are begging for donations on TikTok while the company itself is taking up to 70% of the proceeds, and that is according to a BBC investigation. Now, here's what's going on. Children are live streaming on um, basically TikTok for hours, pleading for digital gifts 
with a cash value. Now, the BBC saw streams of up to $1,000 or 900 pounds an hour, but found the people in the camps were only receiving a small fraction of that. TikTok said that it would take prompt action against, quote, exploitative begging, end quote. Now, the company said this type of content was not allowed on its platform, and it said its commission from digital gifts was significantly less than 70%, but it declined to confirm the exact amount. Now, earlier this year, TikTok users saw their basically their feeds fill with live streams of families in Syrian refugee camps, drawing support from some of the viewers. Obviously, there were concerns about scams from some of the others, etc., etc. Now, in the camps, these are in northwest Syria, the BBC found that the trend was being facilitated by so-called, quote-unquote, TikTok middlemen who provided families with the phones and equipment to go live. Now, the middlemen said... They worked with agencies affiliated to TikTok in China and the Middle East who gave the families access to TikTok accounts. These agencies are part of TikTok's global strategy to recruit live streamers and encourage users to spend more time on the app. Now, since the TikTok algorithm suggests content based on the geographic origin of the user's numbers, these middlemen said that they preferred to use British SIM cards because they say that people from the United Kingdom are the most generous gift givers. Obviously, we may disagree with that here in the United States, but nevertheless, they are literally getting SIM cards. Those are the little cards you put in a cell phone that tells a cell phone where its cellular network is located, and that's essentially what we have here. You're popping that in and it's saying, oh, it's a British phone or an American phone or whatever. And so now it's looking like essentially this is staying in the UK because as these people are broadcasting, TikTok says, oh, this phone is based out of the UK, even though it's in Syria. And now, boom, it's heading to the United Kingdom. Now, for five months, the BBC followed 30 TikTok accounts broadcasting live from Syrian camps for displaced people and built a computer program to scrape information from them, showing that viewers were often donating digital gifts worth up to $1,000 an hour to each account. Families in the camp said, as I mentioned, they were only getting a tiny fraction. So with TikTok declining to say how much it actually took from gifts, the BBC decided to run their own experiment to see where on earth the money is going. Now, a reporter in Syria contacted one of the TikTok-affiliated agencies, seeing that he was living in the camps. He then obtained an account and went live, while BBC staff in London sent TikTok gifts worth $106 from another account. At the end of the live stream, the balance of the Syrian test account was $33. What does that mean? TikTok took 69% of the value of their gifts. And so there you go. One, we all feel horrible for for these refugees. Obviously, they've been through war and ISIS and and famine in Syria and all of these things. It's just an absolutely horrific situation, and we want to help. And if you want to help Syrian refugees, please find a reputable, reputable place like the Red Cross with which to donate. Do not give your money to a Chinese corporation that is taking literally 70% of every dollar that you spend. 70 cents on the dollar goes to TikTok roughly. That is insane. And so please find a good charity. Help out if you can. We know the Syrian refugees are there. We know that there are a lot of them. 
and there are huge problems right now. It is a huge humanitarian crisis in the world, but please make sure you're doing it legitimately. And so that is your TikTok seriously unfortunate news of the week. Oh, and real quick, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, basically your favorite social media platform. I'm either at Nick AESP or slash Nick Espinoza at any one of those. Come feel free to follow me. It's always a good time. I do daily content uh, on tech, on privacy, on cybersecurity. You'll be informed. I think it'll be interesting. So stick around and make sure to follow me. And you're listening to Nick Espinoza, the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show here in podcast form on SoundCloud. And make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for Breaches of the Week. And if you have a data breach to report that's local to you or the major news might have missed it, please, by all means, send it to me. And I'm glad to give you a shout out and include it in the radio show and possibly a daily video. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, Facebook at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can uh, email questions at securityfanatics.com. Again, that's questions at securityfanatics.com. And I'm more than happy to include your data breach and give you a shout out on the air. With that, let's begin. This week in data breaches has been absolutely off the rails. But before we begin, as always, I'd like to basically thank the people that sent me a lot of these tips. That would be Chris Fellon, Darren Young, Barrett Peterson, and David Little. Guys, thank you very much. And if you have a tip for me, please send it my way and I will give you a shout out here on my National Security Radio Show as well as on the video and podcast as well. And with that, let's dive right in. We got no time to lose this week because, wow, breaches everywhere. First one we're talking about is Zimbra Collaboration Suite. Heads up, you users, because last week researchers from Rapid7 warned of an exploitation, basically, of an unpatched zero-day RCE or remote execution code vulnerability in the Zimbra Collaboration Suite. Hundreds of servers around the world have already been compromised. Now, <clears throat> the bad news is that this vulnerability has yet to be patched by the company. The issue is rated as a 9.8 out of 10 on the CVSS scale, but that is crazy. But here's the thing. At the end of the article, it also stated, and I quote, Zimbra has released version 9.00 P27 to address this issue. So... I don't know. Maybe they've done it as well. Now, according to Zimbra users, a vulnerability has been actively exploited since early September of 2020, meaning it has gone essentially under the radar uh, from Zimbra, or Zimbra has not done anything until two years later. So go update your Zimbra ASAP, assuming they actually patched it. You tell me. Moving on. Let's talk about uh, Indian power generation uh, giant Tata Power. Tata, part of the Tata Group, one of the largest corporations or conglomerates in the world. Now, Tata Power this past Friday announced that it was hit by a cyber attack. Threat actors hit the IT infrastructure of the company. Now, the company confirmed that the security breach did impact some of its IT systems. Quote, all critical operational systems are functioning. However, as a measure of abundance precaution, restricted access and preventive checks have been put in place for employee and customer facing portals and touch points, meaning the power didn't go out. But heads up, if Tata Power is how you get your power in India, you might want to be waiting on bated breath until they confirm all of that. Moving on. 
we need to talk about a new Chinese APT or Advanced Persistent Threat known as WIP-19 or WIP-19. Now, researchers at Sentinel-1 uncovered a new threat cluster tracked as WIP-19, which has been targeting telecommunication and IT service providers across the Middle East and Asia. Experts believe uh, basically this group operated uh, for cyber espionage purposes and is a Chinese-speaking threat group. Researchers pointed out that the cluster has some overlap with Operation Shadow force but uses new malware and different techniques. Now the activity of this group is characterized by the usage of a legitimate stolen digital certificate issued by a company called DeepSoft that was then used to sign malicious code and attempt to avoid detection. We saw something very similar on the SolarWinds side so there you go. If you are basically an IT or telecom provider in the Middle East or Asia, be on alert. There's an active Chinese cyber espionage group coming your way. <clears throat> Moving on. Let's talk about the fast fashion site Shine because login details for 39 million Shine accounts were stolen in 2018 after its parent company Zotop was targeted by hackers. Now, New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James said that Zotop had lied about the extent of the breach and had notified only a fraction of the affected customers. Shine said that it has taken significant steps to improve its cybersecurity. And what we are talking about here in terms of breach are names, email addresses, passwords, credit card information belonging to tens of thousands of Shine account holders. Uh, all of that was stolen and sold online. Now, on top of that, another 7 million account holders of Romwe, that's R-O-M-W-E, which is another fast fashion site that is owned by Zotop were caught basically in a, the 2018 breach as well. Letitia James, Attorney General of New York, has leveled a fine of $1.9 million on Zotop. So if you are a Shine or Romwe customer, heads up to you. Your information's been out there since at least 2018. Moving on, let's talk about Woolworths, which I quite frankly didn't know still existed, but apparently... Australia's Woolworths Group Limited said this past Friday that the majority owned it's a majority owned online retailer known as My Deal identified that a quote compromised user credential end quote was used to access its systems that exposed the data of nearly 2.2 million of their users. Now, what we are talking about here are names, email addresses, phone numbers, delivery addresses, and in some instances, dates of birth of customers. I'm assuming if you're like, yes, this is for a birthday, ta-da, here we are. So heads up, uh, Woolworths and My Deal customers. Moving on, <clears throat> let's talk about the New Mexico Licensing Department, because basically the agency that oversees professional licenses for thousands of businesses across that state has been at the target of a cyber attack. Now, officials said this past Thursday there's evidence of unauthorized access of the Regulation and Licensing Department and that some of their organizations and individuals had their records compromised. <clears throat> that is all we know at this moment. So heads up to you, if you have a business in New Mexico, your information might have gotten out because your licensing department was hit. Moving on. Let's talk about the Office of Personnel Management for the federal government of the United States. Now, this is actually an update because a federal judge this past Friday finalized the Office of Personnel Management settlement agreement with its current and former federal employees as well as federal job applicants due to the major data breach that they had back in 2015. The wheels of justice here turned slowly. Now, just District Judge Amy Berman Jackson, in a fairness hearing, at the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia said that the $63 million settlement for the breach victim was, quote, fair, responsible, and adequate. So if you are a past past or current employee employee of the Office of Personnel Management or were a job, applica a job applicant back in the day, you may be entitled to compensation. Moving on. 
we have to talk about genealogy site Family Search. Now, they were basically, they are, I should say, operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Church of Mormon. Now, they revealed that they detected an unauthorized network intrusion that might have affected the personal data of users provided in an email to an email statement to users. Family Search explains that the data breach happened in March of this year, but had to keep it under wraps pending an investigation. The instruction from law enforcement to keep the breach confidential was lifted this week, prompting them to reveal this. Now, thousands of users' data, family tree information hanging in the balance here, Family Search is claiming that law enforcement believes the risk is minimal, which I think is kind of nuts because... The potentially impacted details, which you could run an identity theft scam on, are username, full name, gender, email address, birth date, mailing address, phone number, and preferred language. Now, the family search email claims that a state-sponsored hacker was possibly uh, basically responsible for this breach. Now, here's where this gets interesting, because... On top of family search, there were other reports of data breaches of the Mormon church uh, itself that do not uh, basically mention family search at all. So it's possible the church itself was hit, meaning the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormon church, was compromised very deeply, which also then got into family search, as well as other aspects of that church. Now... A suspected state sponsor, again, this is coming from another article that didn't mention Family Search, a suspected state uh, sponsor, and that's what it was on the other one, of the Mormon Church, basically back in March, successfully obtained personal data on some church members, employees, and contractors. But again, in this article, again, separate from the Family Search one, says that the authorities believe the risk to individuals is low. The breach did not include banking information or donation history, according to the Church of Mormon. So there you go. It looks like the Church of Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has some kind of deep, persistent breach. I think we'll get more information, providing they give it to us. Moving on, I'm going to give you an update on OmniCell. Now, in April of 2022, if you recall, they reported a data breach affecting nearly 62,000 patients. I went back in my notes, and sure enough, they did. Now, the company has now revealed that the incident has impacted an additional 64,000 individuals, which brings the total of patients up to 126,000. OmniCell, if you don't know, is a leading provider of medication management solution for hospitals, long-term care facilities, and retail pharmacies. So obviously... This is a huge problem. Moving on, let's talk about United Health Centers of the San Joaquin Valley. This is an update because they have reached a proposed class action settlement agreement to resolve allegations uh, basically surrounding their 2021, August of 2021, data breach. Now, impacted individuals may be eligible to receive up to 2500 for economic losses related to the incident. <laughs> Additionally, class members may submit a claim for up to $500 for non-economic losses traceable to the data security incident. Now, all class members will also be eligible to sign up for three years of credit monitoring and identity restoration services through the settlement agreement. So, if you are a patient or employee that was affected by the United Health Centers of San Joaquin Valley's August of 2021 data breach, you are entitled to some form of compensation. Moving on. We have to talk about document analysis firm Elevate, and this is actually an update from the March of 2022 breach, March of this year. Obviously, companies are now coming out and saying, hey, we got hit, not us, it's Elevate. The last one this past week was messaging giant Snap of Snapchat fame. We are talking about their employee data, names, addresses, employment history, and compensation information may have been among the affected files that were compromised in the Elevate third-party supply chain breach. And here we are. Moving on. 
we need to talk about the government of Colombia in South America because they just had a massive leak of data. Now, this leak, this basically, this leak comes from a hacktivist group called Guacamaya and includes more than five terabytes of classified data. And this is interesting, including emails, documents, and methods that the Australian police force, excuse me, Australian Federal Police or AFP agents were using to try and stop drug cartels from running their businesses in Australia, obviously in the coordination with Colombia. Colombian law enforcement. Now, details exposed this way are from 35 separate AFP operations, some of which are still active and also include surveillance reports from agents, phone tap recordings, payroll data for Colombian officers, and on and on and on. So obviously, this is a huge blow to Australian law enforcement agencies as it is Colombian law enforcement agencies as they attempt to battle and curtail the drug cartels that are obviously huge down there. So we're going to see where that goes. Best of luck to the Colombian government and, of course, the Australians. Moving on. Let's talk about the Mars Area School District in Pennsylvania because they said they recently learned as a result of a security breach that their data was leaked online. Now, they're conducting a thorough investigation. The incident also involves law enforcement, and that's pretty much all they're saying right now. So heads up if you have anything to do with the Mars Area School District in Pennsylvania. Moving on, let's talk about New York Ambulance Service Empress EMS. We're going to be talking about their May 2022 breach, and this is an update. I went back, I looked, I covered this one as well. Now, they've been hit with a proposed class action claiming that basically their failure to properly secure approximately 318,558 customers' private information resulted in that data breach between May and July of this year. So if you've ever ridden an Empress EMS ambulance in New York, one, I hope you're okay. Two, you may be entitled to compensation. Moving on, let's talk about the Aesthetic Dermatology Associates out of Pennsylvania. They suffered an unauthorized access on their network and basically the healthcare information for 33,793 individuals has been compromised. We are talking patient names, dates of birth, address, diagnosis codes, and health insurance information. So heads up to you, Aesthetic Dermatology Associates patients. <laughs> Moving on, let's talk about the family medicine of Shady Grove out of Maryland. They fell victim to a ransomware attack in August, and they basically um, are saying that 6,482 individual individuals uh, were part of this and impacted, but it did not impact your medical records. That's all I know, so hopefully your medical records are safe. I don't know what else was hit, but heads up, family medicine, Shady Grove patients. There you go. Moving on. Let's talk about the Cardiac Imaging Associates out of Los Angeles. They recently disclosed a healthcare data breach that occurred in April. Now, at the time of the publication, it is unclear how many names or uh, records were impacted, but we are talking about names, social security numbers, dates of birth, financial account information, driver's license numbers, medical diagnosis, payment card information, medical lab results, medication and prescription information, treatment information, and on and on and on. Pretty much, if you've even glanced at Cardiac Image Associates in Los Angeles, you have been part of this data breach. So heads up to you if you're one of their patients. Moving on, we had to talk about a massive credit card leak because researchers at the Singaporean threat intelligence firm Cloud SEK discovered a database containing over 1 million credit cards and debit cards published for free on a Russian-speaking dark web cybercrime forum dubbed Biden Cash. Now, this follows a recent dump of 7.9 million cards on that site. But unlike this first leak, this one actually includes personally identifiable information like email addresses, social security numbers, in addition to card details, uh, you know, as well. So that obviously is a huge thing. On top of this, uh, what they are seeing is from different sources. So State Bank of India, Fiserv Solutions, American Express were some of the top banking institutions that were affected. 
There were approximately 508,000 debit cards breached with 414 records of Visa payment network followed by MasterCard, excuse me, according to the security researchers. Obviously, this is a huge thing. We have no idea if you're caught up in this, if I'm caught up in this. So make sure you're checking your credit card statements for somebody either bleeding you dry or wiping you out. Moving on, let's talk about the state bar in the state of Georgia. Now, the state bar of Georgia was hit by a ransomware attack earlier this year, and the organization has now confirmed that member and employee information was indeed compromised. Now, this uh, basically uh, occurred in April of this year and was disclosed in early May when few details were shared uh, with the organization. Roughly one month later, the bar revealed that the attack involved BitLocker ransomware, which encrypted tens of servers and workstations apparently in their office. Now, exposed personal information includes names, addresses, dates of birth, social security, numbers, driver's license numbers, direct deposit information, or name change information as well. So if you're a lawyer and you're part of the bar in Georgia, heads up to you. Moving on, let's talk about the Scolular company because they are notifying individuals that their personal information, including names, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, and financial information, including bank account numbers and or credit debit card numbers and medical health insurance information may have been stolen as part of a recent hack. Now, if you've received a notice of this, it is possible that you are entitled to compensation as I got this off of basically an attorney's website saying, hey, let us know we're building a class action. So heads up, Scolular company looks like you may be paying out pretty soon. Moving on. I want to give you an update on General Electric, or GE. Yes, the massive GE. They agreed to a class action settlement to resolve claims that they failed to prevent a 2020 data breach. Now, this is great. Heads up, you're going to make a lot of money here because class members may claim up to four hours of lost time at a rate of $18 per hour for a maximum lost payment of $72. Now, out-of-pocket expenses covered by the settlement include reimbursed uh, unreimbursed fraudulent charges, professional fees, credit repair services, credit freeze costs, and other miscellaneous expenses. Combined compensation for loss of time and out-of-pocket expenses is capped at $3,500 per class member. All class members are eligible for 18 months of free credit monitoring through Financial Shield services and on and on. So if you were affected by the GE data breach in 2020, you may be entitled to Put cheese on that hamburger next time you go out. Moving on, let's talk about the Anesthesia Associates of El Paso. According to their media breach notice from one of their affected providers, Anesthesia Associates of El Paso basically had an unnamed management company get breached, and here we are, and that happened on July 15th of this year. Now, unauthorized individuals gain access to those systems by the management company. And so we are talking about patient information, such as names, address, health insurance policies, payment information, social security numbers, diagnosis, and treatment information. Probably a medical biller. Have no idea. But heads up if you're a patient of the Anesthesia, Anesthesia Associates of El Paso. Moving on. Love that city, by the way. Resource Anesthesia of California is the next one we have to talk about because the company has not publicly released any additional information about the breach. However, based on the uh, applicable data breach reporting requirements, it seems likely that patients' protected health information was compromised. After confirming that consumer data was leaked, Resource Anesthesia began sending out breach notices to 16,001 individuals, and here we are. So Resource Anesthesia of California patients, heads up to you. Moving on, let's talk about Advanced, the managed service provider or MSP out of the United Kingdom. Attackers logged into them using third-party credentials. The report does not say how these were uh, obtained for the record, and they established a remote desktop connection to a Citrix server of StaffPlan. That is one of the apps that they provide to third parties. Now, Advanced has about 
25,000 customers, including major government clients, and revenues of around £330 million every year. Now, the data of 16 staff, plant, and CareSys application customers was stolen in the attack. They're also saying it's a ransomware hit. So heads up to you, I'm guessing National Health Service in the UK, or prov- private providers, if you if you use advanced for staff, plant, and CareSys, you may be affected. Moving on. Let's talk about Aventus Whole Health. On October 6th of this year, Aventus filed a official notice of data breach in Montana after basically somebody gained access to an employee's email account. Now, according to Aventus, the breach resulted in sensitive customer information being compromised. They have not yet released the specifics of this. They're basically saying that it's going to be one of the following based on the requirements of Montana, social security, financial account information, or protected health information. And so basically Aventus sent out breach letters. So heads up to you if you use Aventus Whole Health, wherever they be, Montana or otherwise. Moving on, let's talk about Buffalo MRI by the company called Winsong Radiology, because on September 2nd of this year, they filed an official report also in Montana. Uh, Basically, they recently experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to sensitive customer information on their network. Now, this what we're talking about here are names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, and protected health information. They've also sent letters to the affected. So heads up Buffalo MRI by Winsong Radiology patients. Moving on. Northern Data Systems, who filed a notice of breach with Massachusetts Attorney General after they got hit. Uh, Basically, their computer system was accessible by an unauthorized third party. And we are talking about names, social security numbers, phone numbers, address, driver's license number, medical information, and financial information belonging to certain individuals being hit. Don't know how many. And there you go. They're also sending out breach letters as well. Also, quick update on Marriott. In their latest incident, a threat actor, quote, used social engineering to trick one associate and a single Marriott hotel into providing access to the associate's computer. That is now the official report coming from the Marriott spokesperson. Quote, the threat actor did not gain access to Marriott's core network. So human error and Marriott have the pattern together, which is not good. Train your people better, Marriott. And quite frankly, all of us need to train better. Here we are. Moving on. We need to talk about massive infrastructure provider Cloudflare. This is not a data breach, though, but Cloudflare mitigated a distributed denial of service attack against Wincraft, which is one of the largest Minecraft servers, Minecraft being one of the largest, most popular games in the world. That is a record level for the record of denial of service. Now... Cloudflare's um, DDoS threat report stated that a multi-terabit massive distributed denial of service uh, um, attack had become increasingly frequent. In the third quarter, they mitigated multiple attacks that exceeded one terabit. The largest attack was 2.5 DDoS attack against that Minecraft server launched by the Mirai or one of the Mirai botnets. Mirai being that infection that infects the the cheap IoT devices then weaponizes them. We've seen that since about, I want to say it was 2016 or so. We also know it has ties to Russian intelligence. And so they might be spinning these things up and, and checking these things. Although hitting Minecraft, I think Russian intelligence has better things to do at the moment, if you know what I mean. Moving on, let's talk about DJI, the massive drone maker. Um, and this is actually one of two stories we'll be talking about for DJI. Because over 80,000 drone IDs were exposed in a data leak after a database containing information from dozens of air space monitoring devices manufactured by the Chinese-owned DJI were left accessible to the public. Now, recently, the Cyber News research team stumbled upon an unprotected database with over 90 million drone monitoring logs generated by DJI devices. They are the largest maker or largest player in the world, for the record, for drones. 
And so obviously that's a huge thing. There is a drone ID system out there that has been exposed. So if you have a DJI drone, somebody might have gotten that information to see where you're flying that thing. Obviously not cool. And finally, and we have a couple finalies, actually three finalies, I believe, for you today. The first one we're going to be talking about is the country of Iran. And the reason being is that several hacktivist groups have been using Telegram and other tools to aid anti-government protests protests in Iran to bypass regime censorship restrictions amid ongoing unrest after the death of Masa Amini in basically when she was in custody by the police. I've talked about that on my radio show and in podcast video form as well. I think everybody knows the story by now. Quote, key activities are data leaking and selling, including officials, phone numbers and emails and maps of sensitive locations. That is according to Israeli cybersecurity firm Checkpoint that has been monitoring and researching this. Now, Checkpoint said that it also witnessed the sharing of proxies and open VPN servers to get around censorship and reports on the internet status of the country, with one group helping the anti-government demonstrators access social media sites. Chief among them is Telegram Channel is a Telegram channel called Official Atlas Intelligence Group or AIG that's primarily focused on publishing data associated with the government um, and their officials as well as maps of prominent locations in Iran as well. Calling itself a cyber army, the group is said to have commenced operations in May and also advertised a wide range of services in the past, such as data leaks, DDoS attacks, and remote access to organizations. They've also known to voluntarily hunt and dox pedophiles as well, which I'm assuming nobody is complaining about. So basically the dissidents in Iran right now that are risking life and limb to uh, essentially go against the, the theocratic government there are getting some assists from around the globe. Quite frankly, I think the vast majority of the planet wishes them well. Moving on, let's talk about major U.S. airport websites. And this is interesting because uh, I don't think it really affected much. Nevertheless, I want to talk about this as one of my finalists because a pro-Russian hacking group claimed credit for cyber attacks hitting more than a dozen U.S. airport websites this past Monday morning, according to multiple outlets, temporarily rendering parts of the sites inaccessible to the public, though the hacking did not result in any operational disruptions, meaning there were no delays in flights because an airport's website went down. Now, responsibility for the attack was basically the hacking group KillNet, which has pr uh, basically promoted Kremlin viewpoints and previously engaged in cyber attacks targeting West nations, but whose ties to the Russian government are unknown. That's according to CNN. Now, the airports targeted included Atlanta's Hartfield Jackson, one of the largest in the world, New York's LaGuardia, um, Chicago O'Hare, um, as well as LAX in Los Angeles, were also appeared to be affected, according to multiple outlets. Now, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, said that Monday that it was monitoring the situation, but there were no more concerns about airport operations. In a post on Telegram, the group also claimed to hit airports in Idaho, Michigan, Hawaii, Massachusetts, and other states. Kilnet also claimed responsibility last week for disrupting state government websites in Colorado, Kentucky, and Mississippi, as well as other states as well. And the interesting part about this one is I think who goes to an airport website? I can think the only time I've probably been to an airport website is if I've never been to the airport before, I'm just looking up. Do they have like a, an Admirals Club or a United Club or something like that where I can sit and work as I'm waiting for my flight because I do that quite a bit and I, I travel a lot, as you probably know. But other than that, I have zero reason to go to the website that would not prevent me if O'Hare Chicago O'Hare which is my main airport like their website goes down I would never know it 
it would not affect my day. Now, if American goes down or United goes down or Delta goes down or the airport itself is knocked out, that's a huge problem because now you're talking about total stoppage of air traffic and then we're all screwed. So there you go. If an O'Hare or a Hartfield-Jackson goes out, it screws up basically the entire nation because these, these airports are hubs. Huge thing. I don't know what an airport in Idaho would necessarily do beyond local or regional traffic, but but man, uh, an O'Hare, an LAX, a Hartfield-Jackson, those are huge airports. And so if their websites go down, it really doesn't affect anything. But hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the airports themselves continue to stay up and they are so far. And finally... We have to talk once again about Wi-Fi drones, and this one is actually a really interesting revolution in hacking technique. Now, basically, the attackers have a new attack vector that they've been toying with over the last couple of years, and that is drone penetration kits. Now, drones have become more capable in the last several years, making them a viable option for covertly placing intrusion equipment near a network. Just basically, uh, it was originally a theoretical field for research, but now these things are being found in the wild. This week, interestingly enough, the register reported on a drone attack that happened over the summer. The compromised private investment firm kept this quiet but agreed to speak basically off the record, meaning we don't know who this company was, but this is nuts. Here's here's what happened, and it's both impressive and terrifying at the same time. Network administrators discovered that their company's internal confluence page was exhibiting strange behavior within their local area network, meaning in their office building. Confluence, if you didn't know, is a web-based remote collaboration software that's developed by Atlassian. Now, while investigating this incident, security personnel discovered two drones on the roof of their building. One was a, quote, modified DJI, DJI Matrix Matrix 600, and the other one was a modified DJI Phantom. Now, the Matrix or Matrix had actually crashed, but was still operational, and the Phantom had landed safely. Now, the Matrix was outfitted with a penetration or pen testing kit consisting of a Raspberry Pi, a GDP mini laptop, a 4, uh, 4G modem, a Wi-Fi device, and several batteries. The Phantom carried basically all of this there um, up to the roof, and here we are. Now, security researcher Greg Linares, who spoke to uh, basically to the firm's IT team, said that these threat actors used the Phantom a few days before um, basically the attack to intercept an employee's credentials and Wi-Fi, meaning they knew the Wi-Fi password going in because they were able to capture that uh, pre- preliminarily using a drone. They obviously then did their homework. They coded everything into the stolen information and the penetration equipment and then launched them out. Now, the Matrix drone compromised the company's confluence page from the roof by using the employee's Mac or machine access code, uh, excuse me, address code, address, and access credentials. They then poked around the confluence logs and attempting to steal more logins to connect to another internal devices, but they had limited success, according to the report. Now, the admins knew the network was under attack when they noticed the compromised employee's MAC address was logged in locally but also from his home several miles away. The security team isolated the Wi-Fi signal and then used a fluke tester and then basically located these things on the roof. Linares also said that a third drone-based cyber attack um, he has seen in the last uh, two years, this is the third drone-based attack he's seen, but uh, obviously this attack vector still needs some work. The only reason this one had success basically was that the company was on a temporary network that wasn't fully secure. So they literally flew basically these drones with mini laptops, Wi-Fi equipment and a 4G modem so they could communicate back, uh, you know, uh, essentially on this network, landed on top of the building, 
hacked into the network using stolen credentials and were able to gain access to that, that is pretty impressive. Now, obviously, that also means it's a local attack. So if it was sitting here in Chicago, nobody's launching a drone from Moscow. You know, they're going to be in the area. But that said, drone ranges are very impressive these days. And from what I understand, they can go miles and miles um, away from, you know, their base, the person that is controlling them. So this is obviously a very huge thing. They could be in a three-mile radius for all we know. So it's a very interesting technique. We're going to see where that goes. This was an absolutely crazy uh, breaches of the week. We're about 30 minutes into this video slash podcast slash radio uh, broadcast. So there you go. Were you affected? Let me know. And you're listening to Nick Espinosa of the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show here in podcast form on SoundCloud. And make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for the Deep Dive segment where we take a closer and deeper look at a cybersecurity, cyber warfare, or technology issue around us. And if you have any suggestions for a Deep Dive segment or something you'd like me to dive into, you can once again find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP, or you can send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. That's questions at securityfanatics.com. I am more than happy to take a look at it. And uh, if it meets our standards, we are more than happy to do a deep dive on it. So let's begin. And this week's deep dive is actually on the next privacy nightmare that we all have to worry about, and that is virtual reality. And there's probably no doubt that by now, pretty much everybody, especially if you're listening to this, knows that the metaverse is trying to be the next big thing. Facebook, which changed its name to Meta to basically reflect its huge push into building the metaverse, is actually only one of a multitude of companies trying to build virtual worlds for us to work in, play in, and spend much of our life. And for the record, I do believe that Facebook changed their name to Meta in a rush because they were also trying to deflect from a whistleblower that basically showed them how they were essentially destroying our lives through depression, everything else, especially our teenage children. So that obviously is a huge, huge thing. But I digress because we are talking about virtual reality in the in the metaverse. In other words, Facebook, for the record, because there's a multitude of these companies, isn't the only game in town, but they are currently the biggest game in town, despite the fact that they've had problems with glitches. It's boring as heck at the moment to be in the metaverse. I mean, we'll see if that ever changes, but I've been there and Lord, there's like nothing to do. And according to a recent Wall Street Journal article, most users actually leave and don't come back after 30 days. And that actually includes meta employees themselves. In fact, most of the worlds have never been visited that have been created by users. Some of them have had less than 50 users. They were targeting to have 500,000 by the end of the year. They lowered that to 280. They're sitting at around 200,000 right now, so we'll see if they hit that. But quite frankly, this is really not where they were thinking this was going to be. I mean, the next big thing that they had after users were complaining was Mark Zuckerberg excitedly came out and said, yes, now all of our avatars will have legs. That really doesn't solve stuff, Mark. But let's talk about that because CEO Mark Zuckerberg really does want to become our digital cyber overlord here in in virtual reality. And he is spending billions basically trying to make that happen. The initial investment of 10 to 12 billion for the reality labs is quite frankly not paying off, which is why they've lost something like 60% of the overall value of Facebook, aka Meta this year, as he is really trying to push away from this. And that has caused a whole bunch of other problems as well. But here's the thing. Like Facebook, 
the metaverse is free for the most part, and I'll get to that. And you're basically going to be data mined in exchange, basically, for for advertising and all of that to have it free. But you're going to be data mined in a plethora of new ways here. Now, this goes above and beyond the way Facebook is currently data mining you. So they're looking at everything that you post and they're analyzing it. They're looking at what you're sharing to see, you know, what your interests are or if you lean right or left politically, you know, all these kinds of things so that they can sell all of this information to advertisers. It's even to the point where if you linger over, uh, you know, basically an ad, like let's say you're interested in this widget or whatever and you take 10 seconds to read the ad and then move on, they understand that. Now you start getting more of those ads. These are the kinds of things that we are talking about. Now, when it comes to the metaverse, in order to get the full virtual reality experience, users have to basically put on virtual reality or VR headsets, not to mention gloves and everything else. And as we are finding out, these units are basically the next frontier of privacy issues that we're going to have with big tech. We are data mined to the nth degree. These VR headsets are now turning it up to 11. Like I said, Meta isn't alone in this, and we will talk about 2023's possible privacy nightmare that people don't expect, and that would be Apple. Yes, iPhone maker Apple. We'll talk about them as well. But first, we're going to talk about Meta, again, the biggest player in town. Now, this is actually, part of this is based, and I literally just did a video on this uh, a few days, like a video slash podcast a few days before this broadcast, um, you know, which uh, obviously is the beginning of the week of the 17th of October on this thing. So I cribbed that heavily and I took my notes from that. um, But some of this is based off of a Wired article by Kari Johnson, who I thought did a really good job of laying all of this out. Now, here's what's going on. Meta just introduced its latest VR headset in the last week or so, as you're listening to this, known as the Quest Pro. This is about $1,500 for the record, which is why, even though the Horizons, New Horizons, the metaverse by Facebook might be free to use, you have to pay to play to get the actual virtual reality. Now, the new model of the Quest, the Quest Pro, adds a set of five inward-facing cameras that watch your face so they can do things like track your eye movement and facial expressions, allowing then your avatar to basically look like you, reflecting what you're doing. So if you're smiling or sad or raising an eyebrow, winking, all those things, your avatar will do that as well. Now, the headset also has five exterior cameras that will, in the future, help give your avatar legs that copy the person's movement in the real world. Think about all of that information they're collecting. Now, basically, at the event that announced this new headset, Mark Zuckerberg, as I mentioned, the CEO, Meta CEO, described the basically the intimate new data collection that is basically a necessary part of his vision for virtual reality. And I quote Mr. Zuckerberg, when we communicate, all our nonverbal expressions and gestures are often even more important than what we say, and the way we connect virtually needs to reflect that too. Now, companies including Amazon and various research projects have previously used conventional photos of faces to try and predict a person's emotional state, despite a lack of evidence that the technology can actually work. And I actually did uh, a, a deep dive on Amazon on this, not to mention countless uh, you know, videos and podcasts and all that stuff in my daily life, where Amazon 
was trying to sell facial recognition technology that could identify emotion to the police. So think about this. Let's say for a moment you get scared and you run from the police and the police are chasing you and the officer has augmented reality glasses. And let's say you turn around, uh, you know, but you don't put your hands up. And let's say you are terrified. You are frightened. You're not aggressive. You're just frightened. What happens when the AI reads your face and says, oh, this person is aggressive, and that gives the police officer justification, let's say, to pull out a gun and shoot you to protect himself? These are the things that we are talking about. But when we are in the metaverse, they are collecting all of this information, one, to make our avatars look like us more, but two, to actually collect data that can be sold and used essentially against us or, or to advertise to us. Now, data from Meta's new headset might provide a fresh way to infer your interests or reactions to content, meaning they show you that ad and your eyes light up like, holy cow, that's really cool. Like, I can't afford that car, but, you know, that's pretty awesome. Now they've got you. Now they see this above and beyond you just glancing or lingering for two more seconds on an ad as you scroll through your day. The company is experimenting with shopping in virtual reality because of course they are, and they have basically filed patents that envision personalized ads in the metaverse, just like we get personalized ads on Facebook, as well as media content that adapts in response to the person's facial expressions. So even as you are looking at this, let's say it's a video of, I don't know, cute little puppies playing around and it warms your heart. They understand that. Or you watch something scary that increases your heart rate. They can start to understand these as your pupils dilate. Now, in a briefing with journalists about a week or two ago, Meta product manager Nick Antiveros said that the company does not use that information to predict emotions. But here, let's talk about this. Raw images and pictures used to power these features are stored on the headset itself, processed locally on the device, and deleted after processing. That is according to Meta. But, 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 this is a huge thing. Eye tracking, and, and I will quote, Wired directly. I've been paraphrasing. I will quote Wired directly. Eye tracking and facial expression privacy notices the company published this week state that although raw images get deleted, insights gleaned from those images may be processed and stored in Meta's servers. That data on a Quest Pro's user's face and eye movements can also be broadcast to companies beyond Meta. A new movement SDK or software development kit will grant developers outside the company access to abstracted gaze and facial expression data to animate avatars and characters. Meta's privacy policy for its headset says that data will be shared with data shared with outside services, quote, will be subject to their own terms and privacy policies. So essentially what they are doing is giving themselves a loophole. This is the same thing that Apple did with Face ID. They said, well, we're not selling the picture of your face to third parties. We're selling the dots that make up your face so that they can improve their own facial recognition. And so as we are looking at this, we have ways of being re-identified as we are being de-identified, meaning if you have specific characteristics for yourself. So, for example, you can identify people uh, you know, on video cameras as they're walking down the street by their gait, meaning the way that they walk. If you have facial expressions, maybe you have a nervous tick, maybe you squint all the time for whatever reason, your face 
is wholly yours. The expressions that come from your face are wholly yours. And so that means that if I have a series of characteristics on user 17264 and I can put all of those things together, I can then de-identify user 12764 and, and essentially identify as who they are, identify them as who they are. This is what we are talking about. And so they are looking at getting into the emotional intelligence side of the game above and beyond just you reading information or watching a video as you are scrolling through Facebook, which again, they gleam a ton of information on you, uh, you know, regarding that. Not to mention as they are looking at this and understanding your emotional expressions, can they start mentally diagnosing you? Meaning, well, psychologically, this person seems to react in this way. So this person is depressed. This person is not depressed. This person is a psychopath. Whatever it is, this is what we're talking about. These are the kinds of things that we are giving essentially the largest data miner in the world because they want all of us to basically be in this ecosystem. If you've ever seen the movie WALL-E, it's essentially like that. We're all strapped into VR helmets. We are all basically in this amazing virtual universe and the rest of the world basically just goes to pot. Here we are. It is one of the ultimate distractions. I have no idea why I would want to strap on goggles and all these different kinds of things if I just wanted to have, you know, a 10-minute meeting on something like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Now, I can see practical needs for this, let's say, in architecture or design. Imagine having that virtual building there. Everybody can put on VR goggles and actually walk through the building, see the layout, kind of get a better sense for it than you could, like on an architectural design. But that's one case, you know, out of a million. And so this is a huge thing. And this isn't, I think, the same as like at the dawn of like text messaging, you know, where people were like, oh, yes, well, you know, it's so hard to text because we had numeric keypads back then. We didn't have smartphones. But as smartphones and keyboards became adaptive, we all got into texting, just like we all moved into social media, you know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s. This is basically the expectation. And so people have been buying virtual space in the metaverse to try and corner the market, but it's just not there. This requires a lot more involvement and the technology that we wear to get into the metaverse obviously is a huge issue because one, it's bulky Two, you know, you can't really walk down the street with it and organizations are working on augmented reality. That's one of the things Apple is working on. We'll talk about that in a second here, but it's not quite the same. And so this is what we are talking about. This is the next frontier of digital privacy and understand and if you are in the metaverse, uh, specifically Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, you are going to be data mined to the nth degree. I can't speak for the other metaverses out there, but we do have to talk about Apple because Apple basically, for all of their marketing on how secure and private they are, oftentimes are anything but. And a lot of people don't really understand this. Did you know that they were selling your mapping data from Face ID and, uh, you know, from their Face ID system? Or did you hear it here for the first time a couple minutes ago? These are what we're talking about. This is the stuff that flies under the radar that I think is so important that everybody knows. And with that, let's talk about an article that just came out in the Daily Star, who's out of the UK, by author Ciaran Daly, or Dolly, because this is so unbelievably important. And here's what's going on with Apple. They are rumored to be working on a virtual reality or mixed reality, meaning augmented reality or virtual reality headset for next year, 2023, which will ask users to scan their eyeballs to log in, pay for things, and use apps. Now, this Anis Iris, excuse me, scanning technology will also allow users to easily switch between user profiles, enabling different people to share the same headset 
with ease, meaning, you know, as my eyes move to get, you know, more information, it's going to recognize, oh, somebody else is wearing the glasses, therefore user two is using them and I'm user one or vice versa, all those kinds of things. In other words, basically this rumor technology would work just like the existing face ID or touch ID to unlock tools, you know, in your augmented reality glasses or if paired with your iPhone, obviously would unlock your iPhone in the same way that a smartwatch from Apple can do that. Now, Apple has not, for the record, officially confirmed whether it is working on a VR or mixed reality known as XR headset, which basically has been um, on track to be revealed for next year. However, According to the publication, the information two Apple insiders claim that they actually helped develop the headset and they say that it will feature this iris scanning technology. Now, there's no word yet on how this feature would affect user interactions with content on the headset beyond unlocking it, although an eye tracking feature could be very useful for generating analytics data on user engagement or even controlling the headset itself. In other words, if they are grabbing these analytics This is stuff that they can record on you in the same way that even if they're not recording your face completely, they are recording all of the points and mapping that make up your face. This is the same thing. If I can share these glasses with, let's say, somebody else and it understands that this is a new user, not me, it has to understand my unique signatures and identities that make up my iris. Eye scanning is another biometric that, like a fingerprint, is wholly unique to you. Your eyes will never be the same as mine. My eyes will never be the same as anybody else's and that goes for everybody on the planet now based on past uh, past patents that apple has filed they've been actually playing and toying with virtual reality for almost two decades and they are very much expected to announce a headset that works with both augmented and virtual reality now according to bloomberg's mark german who for the record has provided reliable information on iphone launches in the past claims that this headset is due out for a 2023 release date probably later in 2023 that's usually when apple launches stuff now it'll like have an app store specifically for the headset because obviously you know if you've got virtual reality uh, situations then you're going to have different sets of games it'll be a different um, feel to watch videos not to mention things like FaceTime might be in virtual reality as well and Apple reportedly demonstrated their preliminary tech to their board members in May of this year so this is coming this is not something that We are looking at here and saying, oh, yes, well, this is, you know, no big deal or whatever. This is a huge, huge thing. And the privacy implications for this are absolutely crazy. Now, we all love new things. I mean, there will be people that will say, yeah, I know Facebook data mines me to the nth degree and I will use Facebook till the cows come home because one, I'm addicted to it. And two, you know, it's I need that fix for my emotional stability or whatever the reason is that you use Facebook. For me, it's mostly marketing or information gathering. So you can follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all of that. But I'm not typically posting like, oh, yes, here are like personal photos and here are all these things. That's not what I do. Understanding that Facebook data mines us to the nth degree. But moving this forward, not just understanding, let's say, my preferences in, you know, the articles that I read or, uh, you know, the 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 gadgets that I, I'm interested in purchasing and all of that. They're now going to start to understand intrinsically who I am by how I walk, by how I interact, my facial expressions, everything. This is basically mapping me to the nth degree. And then when they start turning these over to governments, which they have been doing for years and years and years, and if you look at the Amazons, oftentimes without a warrant on you know their types of technology or existing technologies, this is a huge problem.
And so you can't say you haven't been warned. Even you Apple users who think you're bulletproof and all of that know we hit Apple all the time. Apple gets infected. In fact, the largest mobile phone or the worst mobile phone infection in history is Pegasus based off of the iPhone. I've talked about that extensively here. But understand as you're adopting these technologies, one, you don't have to go to Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse if you really want to be in the metaverse. There are other metaverses out there. The problem is obviously we're all going to go where our friends are, which may be them, but also understand that as we are developing this new technology, this new technology may be cool. It may help us get to the new worlds virtually that we want to get to, but they are also data mining the bejesus out of us. And so for that, you can't say you haven't been told. And that is your deep dive of the week. And thank you so much for tuning in this week. It was another fun show. And I think we covered a lot of really good stuff. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a really good time. And I hope you keep tuning in. Thank you very much for listening to the Deep Dive Radio Show here with Nick Espinoza. And if you have any comments, suggestions, questions, absolutely anything, once again, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. And you can always send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. Don't be shy. I love the feedback. We've been having a great time with the show. And as always, stay safe and stay online, everyone. Thanks for listening.